Another instance, and this one was this one was fascinating. I hadn't heard of this before. So in 1806, uh, a domesticated hen, so a chicken, in Leeds, England, appeared to lay eggs inscribed with the message, Christ is coming. Great numbers of people reportedly visited the hen and began to despair of the coming judgment day. It was soon discovered, however, that the eggs were not, in fact, prophetic messages, but the work of their owner, who had been writing on the eggs in corrosive ink and reinserting them into the poor hen's body. So there you go. Um, There's, there's several more. I mean, just even more outlandish than this. So hop on Encyclopedia Britannica today and type in uh, predictions of Jesus' return. It's a good time. But these things, these, these types of predictions, um, it's actually not what it means to be ready for Jesus' return. We hear this, you know, in... in the church, and we hear this in Christianity and in our culture even, like, be ready for Jesus' return a lot, but what does that mean? It certainly can't mean what I just shared with you, but we can be and should be ready in real, practical, important ways for Jesus' return, and the scripture we're in this morning spells this out for us. So if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 12, Verse 35, we're going to be in Luke 12, 35 to 39. And this is a hard teaching from Jesus. Just to just kind of prepare yourselves. This is, this is difficult. And so I have some notes that are on the screen. So I'm just going to, if you can, Dylan, if you just leave these up here until I get to the next point, that'll be great. But I just want you to see very clearly what's going on. And I'm probably not going to answer all of your questions about this text So I would love to talk with you later if you have other questions because I have delved into uh, a lot with this text. But I'm going to focus on the main thing. And the main thing we see right away in verse 35 is to be ready. So it says, Luke 12, 35, be ready for service and have your lamps lit. Be ready. Be ready for what? Be ready for what kind of service? See, Jesus' followers... And disciples at that time when Jesus was teaching this certainly wouldn't have thought of his return because he was already with them, right? It just wouldn't have made sense to them. Okay, you're talking about coming back. Wait, you're going to leave? Like they just, they would have been really confused. But it's clear as we read this that Jesus is talking about his return after his death, resurrection, and ascension back to heaven. So, this is, this is talking about when Jesus is going to come and defeat evil and, and judge everyone and all things are going to be made right. So this teaching was actually meant to help his followers later than when he spoke this, when he taught it. So the disciples, as you're going to see in this text, are going to be a little confused about what Jesus is talking about. So have that in mind as we walk through this. But we're going to look at it from our vantage point because that's how Jesus meant it. Our vantage point is Jesus is alive and he has ascended and we are waiting for his return. So be ready, it says, be ready for service. The ESV says, stay dressed for action. See, it was customary at this time in Jewish culture to wear long flowing robes. And I don't, maybe some of you can explain that later to me, why you would do that in such an arid climate. But here they are, it's really hot. And so we're gonna wear a dress, right? And so here they are with these long robes. And 
When it was time to work hard, though, they would cinch them up a bit so that they, they could move more freely, right? It, it, it reminds me of, in sports, um, you know the, the ready position? Anyone who's ever gone out for a sport, it's something like this, where you, you have your knees slightly bent, right? And, and you have your hands out ready to, to receive something or to throw something or whatever. You're just, you're just ready to go, right? Ready position. And I think this is what he's saying. Be ready for service. Stay dressed for action. Be ready. Be in ready position for Jesus' return. And Jesus is going to tell us how to be in ready position, so to speak, in a minute. But then he says, have your lamps lit. So he says, don't just be ready for his return. Watch for it. Shine some light in this dark world. Expect his return. Keep your lamps lit and keep them lit in this dark world. I think of it like um, a mom waiting for her teenage daughter to come home, okay? It's, it's about curfew. She's not here yet. So where's mom going to be? She's going to be on the couch or on a chair where she can clearly see the front door and probably see out the window so when the, she pulls in or gets dropped off or whatever, right? And she's, she's going to be ready, right? She's going to have the, 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 all the lights on she can outside and at the entryway, right? She's, she has her lamps lit. She's ready. She's waiting, Theologian Daryl Bach describes this being ready and having your lamps lit as expectant watchfulness. And I think that's a good way to put it, expectant watchfulness. Be ready by expecting Jesus anytime. And watch, keep tabs on God's work in this world. Stay ready. But why? Before we get to how to do that, Jesus gets to the why. Why should we be ready? Moving on to verse 36. He says, you are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. So why be ready? Be ready Because there's unthinkable blessing and reward for being ready. See, in this parable, parables are are stories to prove a point, and Jesus uses them often. He tells this story to prove a point, and is saying, hey, those who are found ready when the master returns, the master is going to come, verse 37, look, the master is going to come and do a role reversal, surprisingly, shockingly, and serve the servants. Did you catch that? It's unthinkable because think about it. Jesus, when he returns, is going to treat us who are followers of him as esteemed guests. All things are going to be made right and we get to be dinner guests of the king of kings and lord of of lords. And this is so unthinkable because even those of us who are ready, who are followers, it should be the opposite. We should be serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. We should be serving Jesus' dinner, not the other way around. But this is what happens. This is what's going to happen. Be ready because of the blessing and reward that will be breathtakingly worth it. God himself 
worthy of all honor, worthy of all praise and service that we can muster, plus some, will bless and serve us and invite us to his table for supper. Can you imagine the laughter at that table? Can you imagine the steak at that table? You know what I mean? Can you imagine the conversation at that table? It's unthinkable. It's breathtaking. This is the blessing and a reward that awaits those who are ready. Why else should we be ready? Let's keep reading. Verse 39 says, But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So why else should we be ready? Because he's going to come when we don't expect it, when we least expect it. Be ready because you're not only going to have no idea when Jesus is coming back, but he'll come when you least expect it. Jesus knows that we tend to let our guard down and get really distracted in this world. So he cautions, hey, don't get distracted. Don't do it, especially when it seems unlikely. Stay expectant. Stay watchful. So how? How can we be ready? What does it mean to be in ready position, to have this expectant watchfulness? How do I watch for Jesus' return? Well, first we're going to see in verses 41 to 48, be ready by being a good steward. Verse 41, Lord, Peter asked, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Now stop there for a second. Remember, the disciples were a bit confused because of the timing here, right? Peter's wondering, hey, does this apply to us? Or are you just talking to people who aren't following you so they'll, they'll start to follow you? What are, what are you doing here? And so Jesus answers, kind of. He answers in another parable, a story with a point. And his answer is, yes, this does apply to you, Peter. Um, but, he, but he says more than that. So verse 42, the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him. And in an hour he does not know, he will cut him into pieces and assign him to a place with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. So parables... You have to realize they have a singular point. So we can't get too hung up on the details. So let's start with that point. Verse 48, end of verse 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Entrusted is the key word there. Peter and Jesus' disciples and, and all today who claim to follow Jesus are to be ready by being good stewards. Now, steward is an interesting word. People often think of money when they think of stewardship, but that's, that's only one way to be a good steward. A steward is someone who's given something to take care of for the use of the giver's honor. 
Okay, it's, it, you're given something to take care of for the use and, and honor of the person who gave it to you. So while Jesus is away, he's saying, be ready by doing the master's will. Verse 47 talks about the master's will or God's will, Jesus's will. So it begs the question, what is the master's will? Well, this could be answered in a lot of ways, but I think it can be summarized pretty succinctly in a couple of Jesus' teachings that I'll just lightly skim over. And one is called the Great Commandment. We're to love God and to love others. Be ready by being a good steward, Jesus is saying, of my people. Love people really well. And the, the, the other part of the Master's will is to be a good steward of his mission, the great commission, which is to go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples throughout all nations. Be ready by being a good steward of my mission, of my people and of my mission. God's saying, be my representative while I'm gone. And this is a high calling, right? Take good care of my people and my mission. And this, this actually is the very essence of what it means to follow Jesus. Is to take care of God's people and his mission. So how do we be ready for Jesus' return? First, be a good steward by taking good care of God's people and God's mission. And verse 43 and 44, we're see, we're, we see again there's going to be a blessing and reward if you're a good steward. Blessed, verse 43, is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Now, this isn't talking about being perfect at taking care of God's people and God's mission. No one's been perfect at that except Jesus himself. It's none of us. We all have our ups and our downs, our good days, our bad days. But when Jesus comes back and he looks at your life on earth following him, Is he going to see a pattern of faithfully caring for and loving people and a pattern of faithfully helping others know and walk with Jesus? Let me show you a chart from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. So um, in this, this has been a really helpful chart to me. So conversion, when you come to know Christ, when you believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins, you trust in him, you follow him, You start to grow in holiness and becoming more like Jesus. But what's fascinating about this chart is the trajectory is upward. You're becoming more and more like Jesus. But you're like this one day and then, then, oh man, this day not so good. And then it's up and down, right? But overall, the trajectory is upwards. See, there really is grace for the process. It's not like we come to know Christ and he expects us to be perfect. That's not It's not possible. It's a journey until we get to perfection, until we get to heaven with the perfect one. See, we're not saved by our efforts. Don't mishear me either. We're not saved by our efforts. But if you're truly saved, there will be effort. So I I found this chart to be really helpful when talking about this is sanctification is, is the theological term here. But Jesus says here in verse 43, You will be blessed by God when he comes back. You'll have heaven with him. And verse 44 says, you're going to be rewarded by being put in charge of even more. And we don't quite know what that means. But I imagine it's something like, if, if you're really faithful, you get to be like a governor of a state or a province or something in the new heavens and the new earth. 
so there'll be greater reward. But there'll also be, on the other side, there'll be severe punishment if you're a bad steward of God's people and God's mission. Look at verse 45. But if that servant says in his heart, my master's delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. Dismemberment. Why so severe a punishment? First, just to help us here, let's realize that this is not talking about followers of Jesus. This is talking about fake followers of Jesus. People who say, I follow Jesus, but don't. And so I, wanna, I just want to clear the air and give you some relief this morning. If you're here worried that this is you, if you're like, oh, I hope I'm not a fake follower of Jesus, let me tell you with assurance, it's not you. How can I tell you that with assurance? Here's how. You wouldn't give a rip. You wouldn't give a rip if that was you. See, if you care about this, if you're like, man, I really wonder if I really am a follower of Jesus, I'm not really sure. Like, no, you are because you care. God has changed your heart and put within you a heart that's been transformed by God, and so you care. So don't get, don't get all out of, out of, bent out of shape about that. But much like a couple weeks ago, Jesus' harshest critique we saw was for fake followers of Jesus, the Pharisees. And Jesus' harshest punishment comes also for those who are fakes. Punishment is severe here in this parable because it represents a larger degree of punishment in hell, I believe, is what's going on. I mean, just like there's, there's, more, there's degrees of rewards in heaven, I believe there's degrees of punishment in hell. And we see this pretty clearly in this passage. And we don't exactly know what that's going to look like and I don't think it's that important, actually. But it's so severe because these fake followers knew their job as stewards, right? They're, they knew, these were people that, that know God's, that the, their mission is to take care of God's people and take care of God's mission, yet they take advantage of God's people and take advantage of God's mission and make God's people and God's mission look like a joke. It's one thing to outright reject Jesus. It's another thing to fake following Jesus and in so doing make Jesus look really terrible to a watching world. So now you can understand a little bit more why there would be severe punishment. So how do we be ready for Jesus' return? We'd be a good steward by taking care of God's people and his mission. And being a good steward is by no means easy, which leads us to the next point of how to be ready for Jesus' return. Be ready by expecting hardship. Verse 49, Jesus says, I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how it consumes me until it is finished. Do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. 
From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. For some of us, that's very real. Wayne Grudem, again, does a good job in the ESV Study Bible, which I would highly recommend as a resource, the ESV Study Bible. But he says this, Jesus came not only to bring salvation, but also to become the great divider of humanity as people decide whether or not to follow him. See that last part? As people decide whether or not to follow him. See, Jesus is the lamb and the lion. He brings salvation and judgment. Following Jesus is the path to ultimate peace. See, Luke 2 doesn't contradict Luke 12. Luke 2, the angels are declaring that Jesus has been born and that he is the prince of peace. So how can he be the prince of peace but yet not come to bring peace? Here's what he's saying. Jesus has the path to ultimate peace that we will experience one day with him and gives us peace within in relationship with him for the journey. That's what Luke 2 was talking about. But by no means will that journey be easy and oftentimes not very peaceful along the way. So verse 49, he says, expect fire on the earth. That means judgment. God will judge everyone. And did you follow him or not? That's the critical question. Be ready by expecting some people, Jesus is telling us, expect some people not to follow Jesus and face eternal consequences. Verse 50, the reason, though, that we should expect hardship is because Jesus himself was no stranger to hardship. He went through indescribable hardship. It talks about this baptism. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about his suffering. And crucifixion. And then resurrection. See, baptism is a symbol of how Jesus died and then rose from the dead. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to go through it. So you're going to go through it too. You're going to go through hard things. Verses 51 to 53 saying, be ready by expecting people who are super close to you to reject Jesus and face eternal consequences. So I want you to stop and just think in your mind for a second. Think of one family member or good friend that you know is not following Jesus. One family member or friend who's not following Jesus. You got them? So the person that came to mind for me is, is a friend of mine who I've shared the good news of Jesus with over and over in multiple ways and read things together and, and talked it to death that were blue in the face and had really good discussions. He's really interested, but he's not there. He doesn't believe. It's really, really, really heartbreaking. And Jesus is saying here, yes, keep praying for them. Yes, keep sharing Christ with them. But don't be surprised and caught off guard when some people don't follow him. But it's more than that. Overall, Jesus is saying, hey, be ready for my return by expecting things to be hard along the way in general. 
You know, I'm, I'm convinced that we should have people memorize after John 3, 16, 1 Peter 4, 12. 1 Peter 4, 12 says, Dear friends, dear friends, don't be surprised when you see the fiery trial come among you as if something strange were happening to you. And I know this is a different version than I have memorized, but this is the CSB which we use here. But don't be surprised don't be shocked. When, when, don't act like all weirded out and strange when hard things happen to you. I think this is a critical part of our discipleship to realize that this world is broken and it will be hard. And why would we expect it not to? It was hard for Jesus. Jesus is saying one of the best ways to be ready for my return in the future is to have realistic expectations for right now. Expect hardship here and now. It certainly, of course, doesn't make it easy and less painful now, but it does help focus us on our true hope and put our attention on our true home, heaven. A critical way to focus our hope and attention on heaven leads us to the next how-to of being ready. We focus our hope and attention on heaven by getting right with God in our hearts. Verse 57 says, Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hand you over to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Jesus, again, uses a parable to plead with people to get right with God now. Get right with God right now. Just like it's always better, right? We know this. We, maybe some have experienced this. But it's always better if we can settle things, disputes with others outside of court. And God is saying, it is Jesus is saying it's infinitely more important to settle with God right now because you get into court with God and you've lost before you started because even the best person in this room or watching this today, the best person in here, the most holy person still falls short of the glory of God, has sin in their record. So I ask you, point blank, have you repented and believed to initially get right with God? Is your heart right with God? Because your best efforts and works still fall short. And I want to show you this. I want to just prove this to you today. So, let's draw a little chart. And... Believe me, I'm not Bob Ross, so hopefully you can read this. So here's God and his perfect standard. Here's us. We're down here, okay? Now, let's, uh, let's take Hitler, all right? Adolf Hitler. And let's give him the benefit of the doubt, which is not good to give Hitler, but let's do it today just for fun. Let's say he did one good thing in his life. Okay, let's just say, I, I, I believe that he probably did one, okay? Still falls way short of the glory of God. Obviously, he's Hitler. But let's take, uh, 
Let's take Mother Teresa. I think I spelled that right. But uh, she did all sorts of fantastic things for God and for humanity, right? And so, you know, here's her good works, and her ladder gets her right there. Guess what? She still falls short of God's perfect standard. Now let's take us, you and me. Here we are. We're pr- let's, you know, we're probably somewhere in the middle, if we're honest, right? Probably somewhere about there, maybe a little more. We've got some good stuff we've done for the Lord. Guess what? Hitler, Mother Teresa, you all still fall way short of the glory of God because of sin in our hearts and in our lives. And so what we need, what all of us need, is a Savior to stand in the gap for us. Jesus is saying, be ready by getting your heart right with God. Mark 1, 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Couldn't be more clear. Repent, admit you're a sinner and mean it. And then walk away from that sin. Don't live in it. That's not your identity any longer. And then believe. Believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead to give you his perfect record by dying on a cross. Because of that, you are forgiven. You get Jesus' record. It's yours. And you get life with him forever. That doesn't make us perfect. Makes our record perfect. But it does focus us on the perfect one. Even if you've sat in church your whole life, have you done this? Is your heart right with God? See, Jesus wouldn't have taught this if he didn't realize that there were people sitting in the synagogue at the time or in the church who went through the religious motions who hadn't done this. So I ask you the same. Have you repented and believed the good news today? Is your heart right with God? Get right with him today. Believe in him. But let's say you're in here and you're going, Matt, that's me. I've, I've done that. I'm following him. Fantastic. Well, God says, Jesus says, be ready by maybe not doing a heart check, by doing an ear check. Let's back up a little bit. Verse 54. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? Jesus is saying, are you in tune with what God's doing and saying right now? Now you have to balance this scripture with what Jesus said earlier in verse 40 that he's going to come when we don't expect it, right? So he's not saying start calling every little thing that happens in the world scripture fulfilled, Revelation 5.16, it's happening right now. That's not what Jesus is saying. People have done that for centuries and well, here we are. We just don't know when he's coming back. Here's what he is saying. He's saying, Have your spiritual ears alert and listening to God. He uses an an analogy that we get really well as as Iowans, right? 
How much more today are we like looking at our phones? I mean, I can tell it's going to stop raining in, in eight minutes, right? I mean, my phone tells me that these days. He's like, you guys are fantastic at knowing what the weather's going to do, but you have no idea what God's up to. See, many people, when Jesus taught this, were missing out on a massive work of God in front of them. Hello, Jesus, God incarnate, standing in front of them, teaching, and they missed it. So are we missing out on what God is up to? And so I think we have to start with this. What are we letting into our ears? Are we filling our ears with God's word or other things. You know, there's a guy in our church recently who was telling me how they've, they've changed in the last six months or so from filling their mind with lots of news and lots of politics to memorizing more scripture and, and reading the word more. And it's made them more in tune with God and what he's up to. So perhaps for you, Perhaps CNN or Fox News or Facebook or TikTok or whatever is so loud in your ears, so loud in your life that the voice of God is getting drowned out. Or at least his voice is getting muffled a bit and unclear. We need to have a steady diet of scripture in our lives. Not just from Matt or Ryan or whoever on Sunday morning. We need a constant, loud voice of God in our lives because there's so many other competing voices that are very loud and very much in our face. And as we do this, as we tune, tune into God's word and turn up God's word through the Bible in our lives, it opens up our spiritual ears to the still, small voice of God promptings of God. I had one of our elders say to me recently, you know, Matt, God made it clear to me the other day that when I got up, today's going to be a tough day. And it was a tough day. And I was grateful he gave me that warning. How did he know that? He was in tune with God's loud voice of scripture first. So he heard his still small voice. Now certainly we need to be cautious and careful here. Not all your thoughts are thoughts from God's, even ones you think that, that are. But I'm just wondering, does this ever happen to you? Do you ever get promptings from God? We need our ears checked. We need to turn down the voice of this world and turn up the clear, loud voice of God through his word. And what I'm actually talking about here is the work of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is ultimately the key to being ready for Jesus' return. And this is incredible news for us. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, Scripture describes Him as the Comforter, the Helper, is with you today. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit with you and in you if you are a follower of him. So guess what? He's going to give you the strength. He's going to give you the encouragement and he's going to give you even the motivation to live more and more ready for Jesus' return. Lean in to the Holy Spirit. Listen well to God this week. Let's pray. Jesus, 
thank you so much for giving us the Holy Spirit. And I thank you so much, Lord, that you offered yourself for us. So I pray, God, if there's those that need to get right with you who aren't right with you, they look on the outside like they're right with you, but their hearts aren't, that they would get right with you. And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that we would tune our ears more and more into what you're doing, Lord, so that just as we are all so good at talking about the weather and knowing what's coming in the weather, that we would even be better at discerning what God is up to in our lives, in our families' lives, in our children's lives, in our world. Help us to be so in touch with you through your word that we're not rattled when bad news comes, that we're not rattled when this or that happens, Lord, but our attention is focused not on this earth, but on the coming new heavens and new earth. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise and that hope. In your name we pray, amen.